This is episode number 41 of the Abuse Talk podcast with me, Jennifer Gilmore. Welcome to the Abuse Talk podcast. My name is Jennifer Gilmore and I turned my pain into a purpose. I'm an author and advocate for women in abusive relationships and believe that together we are louder. Each fortnight there is a new episode on the Abuse Talk podcast featuring a series of interviews with those that work in the domestic abuse sector and sharing it with all of you. We are also mixing it with survivor stories, those with lived experiences. We can learn from them and help raise the awareness of domestic abuse. In this episode, I speak to Lucy Hawksby, who is the narcissist hunter. She shares her experiences, her passion and her work. Before we get started, I want to say a big thank you to Rockpool. They're the main sponsors for the Hashtag Abuse Talk podcast and they provide industry-leading training and consultancy services for organisations that support people who have been affected by trauma. You can find out more about them at rockpool.life. I also want to say a big thank you to Susan Rahima and Katrina Hay. They are patrons on the hashtag Abuse Talk tier of my Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com forward slash Jen L Gilmore. Now let's get into that conversation and it's certainly one that is fueled with passion. I am really excited today. I've just had a lovely conversation. I I can't really say lovely, to be honest, but we've just had a (laughs) passionate conversation. Um, Lucy Hawksby is joining me and um, she is, um, wow, well, we've clearly got a lot to discuss. So um, anyway, Lucy, I I should let you introduce yourself. Um, Tell us about you and and where you are in the world. Uh, Well, Jennifer, I'm in Glasgow. Um, and I do have a Scottish accent, but I don't talk too fast. So I'm hoping <laughs> everyone can kind of understand me. And hello, everyone. Um, I'm actually from the Highlands and Islands um, up north. Uh, so I'm from somewhere where we didn't even have a hairdresser or a cash machine until the late 90s. Uh, <laughs> so proper Highland lassie. Uh, and uh, yeah, but I'm in Glasgow now. I moved to Glasgow when I was 18, started a family quite young and uh, worked through the charity sector, always in kind of social kind of uh, uh, anything that's poverty reduction and debt reduction and homelessness, all those breast cancer. So I sort of job jumped, but somehow mm. managed to do quite well. <laughs> I don't really know how, because uh, I'm not uh, I'm not university educated and did bits of diplomas in mental health and social care and child development um, and ended up with quite a good career. But had my the relationship and that really was the beginning of the end of of my career um and then things just kind of spiraled and then I brought myself back up to do some quite positive work now but there's um there's a sort of gap of about 10 years where things were not good which I think we're Mm. probably going to talk about today yeah I mean um I mean we like I said we had this passionate conversation uh clearly we um resonated with each other and um what we yeah. both do in, in a way but um I think what is apparent is that 
you know, we need to raise awareness. And that's exactly what you're doing. I love the name of your website. So I really want you to uncover that. It's called um, the Narcissist Hunter uk yeah. for anybody who wants to quickly google yeah, it as they're fine. listening so tell t- tell tell me why you you uh, titled it that and what that means well uh, yes i am the narcissist hunter and i get a lot of uh, kind of uh, feedback on that where they're like well how do you hunt narcissists and in the wider contexts narcissists to me and to, to many people who are aware of that particular uh, type of abuser that are much much more common than people realize that narcissistic domestic abusers tend to follow patterns mm. and um, they they rely on people not knowing what those patterns are those behaviors are in the early days before they become overt abusers so my, my way of sort of hunting them is to take away that cloak of anonymity by making sure everyone knows what they look like how they act how they speak and it's all genders Um, But what makes them interesting is that they are the most predictable abusers on the planet, which means Mm -hmm. we can really kind of protect ourselves. So I I hunt them by telling everyone how they act and taking away other human beings as being their fuel source. So I starve them to death, really. (laughs) If if we could go macabre, I starve I starve narcissists of, you know, all the different money and time and energy and attention and sex by telling people this is this is what they're doing. Mm. Um, so the Narcissist Hunter just felt a good kind of dark title. Um, and I've had that for a few years now. Mm. I mean, it certainly, it certainly grabs your attention. And I think, um, I, I mean, I've had um, the lovely um, Zoe Parsons. Um, she's talked about narcissist, yeah. um, narcissistic behaviour on the podcast before. And, um, you know, I was bringing up the, the whole point that na- the word narcissist is used quite a lot in probably the wrong way and we were trying to uncover what it really does mean and um, it sort of takes away from the people who have had to deal with a narcissist because they're really not I can't even say nice people the the I want to say evil but somewhere in the middle right um so so tell me then why what's led to you um, to get to this point then, to do this work and uh, raise the awareness then? Um, there was a, quite, a few different driving forces. I would say um, the main driving force, and I'm, in all complete and utter honesty, was revenge. And mm. I came, when I when I was sat, um, and I, I got in trouble with the police, right, right as we first kind of came, we weren't even coming out of the relationship because you don't ever really leave a relationship with, a, with someone who's got narcissistic personality disorder who has domestically abused you because their worst nightmare is you moving on. Their worst nightmare is you um, being vocal and loud and telling everyone what they did. So they will do anything, including using the police and lying to the police and exaggerating to the police and other people to report you to the police to shut you up. Um, and I, I uh, in 2016, when it first this all first really kind of started hitting me what had happened, because I didn't even know I was a victim of personality disorder abuse. I didn't. I just thought he was a horrible person who cheated on me and seemed to have done it to lots of other people. Um, and I, I remember sitting in police cells and I just wanted to kill him. I wanted to kill the females he'd involved. I wanted to kill his friends and family he'd got involved because the variety of abuses were just, to me, almost, it was too much. And I started to kind of dissociate and I became narcissistic myself, very hateful, very angry, very vengeful. 
um, and, you know, quite pathologically sociopathic. If somebody had said to me, here's a free pass, you can kill him and chop him up and bury him in this wee bit outside of Glasgow in Wishaw, I'd have done it. You know, I lost my humanity and empathy. Mm. So my first part of the journey was revenge. And I thought, what's the worst, his worst nightmare and her worst nightmare and their worst nightmare? It's me telling everyone, right? Mm. In stark detail, technicolor. Um, and I started writing down kind of, I, I went on social media, which got me in even more trouble, but that's very natural. And I work with a lot of women in particular that do that. Um, although I also know of a lot of men that do it and they get, you know, themselves caught up in the fencing, offending. And um, the safest way to tell my story was to write a book. Um, and it took three years because I was really unwell, um, triggering myself and still was getting myself in trouble with the law. I still was making the wrong choices. I was promiscuous. I was a wild animal. I was a wild animal. And for an educated, um, you know, relatively middle class woman with three kids, a mortgage, responsibilities, I should have had a career. Um, I was I went back to being an absolutely mental teenage girl just crazy I did everything I should have done when I was a teenager which I didn't because I was a good girl um and I just started acting like him so that held the book back a bit but also got me through because I was able to sit down with counsellors and um social workers and, mm. and and unpick why I was acting the way I was acting and oh, the system wasn't very good for me and I don't believe it works very well for women like us who are not traditional victims um mm unfortunately. Um, but I was able to research and sort of write things down. I learned about all the stages. I learned about other men and women that had been through it. I learned that it was okay, that I was absolutely mental and I was um, sexually hyperactive and I, my, I had breakdowns. And I un I, ex I accepted that this was part of the process. So the, the my first book kind of helped me with that. Um, so that was the second reason really was recovery. It helped me recover. It helped me understand um, and it helped me forgive myself because I hated myself for, mm. I actually left a narcissist who was an, a domestic abuser in a different way. He was very verbal. Um, he was verbally violent to me for this specific, really bad Casanova psychopath abuser. And I hated myself for going from a frying pan into a fire because I knew that I was more intelligent. So I started forgiving myself. So that was the next bit. Um, and now I do it to help other people. That is my absolute kind of end goal now is to, is to help other men and women um, or whatever gender they identify as understand, mm. be where I was in 2017, 2018, because I get such a, I get a glow from it. Oh, I'm going to heaven now. There was a wee while when I was going downstairs um, absolutely, the, the you know, I knew that that's where I was going. Um, but now I feel I've kind of done enough good, you know, with my work and the books and the different things that I do to help others. And it, it keeps me going, really. Mm. Whenever I feel like I might relapse back into bad behaviour um, or negative thinking or hate, I, I look at my books, I hold my books up and I just go, it's like holding my babies. And I just kind of, I feel, I feel pride, a nice, natural, healthy pride you know I've got a lot to lose now you know yeah and, and and I think you know one of the things that you said right at the beginning there was about revenge and I thought yeah. I, I'd pick up on it because somebody once told me that the biggest form of revenge is success and yeah. um to be honest I'm going to be really honest and it's something I wouldn't normally talk about but that's exactly how I felt was that if yeah. I can 
make a success of my life in any way, then that is the best thing that I could possibly do. Yeah. Um, and it's it's really difficult, isn't it? It sounds like you've been on a journey. And to be honest, we we obviously <laughs> have had a, a bit of a chat before. I've been on but, a roller coaster. <laughs> um, there's, there's, there's certainly um, a lot of things that you said, I think uh, many people will relate to. And I think it's really important, you know, for your message to, you know, go to the people that need to hear it, especially. Um, so you've, you've referenced... Um, you know your ex and you've also said them so could could you let um everybody know yeah. about um you know just to sort of define everything and what you yeah. mean by that so in 2009 I met um a man who and I'll just use his book name. I call him the book name so in in my first book he's called Niall that that's not his real name but I I, I call him that because I share a child with him a young child and in 2009 I met him and was just swept away by this successful charismatic confident man who dressed beautifully and just was everything that my other two children uh two children's dad was not and he said all the right things and did all the right things you know he was he was like I say he was successful he had to be it sounds it's the problem is you, you often you're, you're relatively vulnerable and almost kind of narcissistic and shallow yourself when you're young. And I, and I was quite shallow. I just thought, oh, he's got a nice car. He's got his own flat. He's got a business. You know, this he's a match for me because I was very financially secure, own my own house. And I thought, you know, we are a match because I'd been carrying men prior to that who you know, having worked in the charity sector, didn't earn much, were a bit hippie-ish, weren't motivated, weren't interested. And this guy kind of sang to me. And uh, it took a couple of years, but round about when we were due to get married, uh, I started to find out big, big, big whopper lies, which is a classic Machiavellian narcissist, a sort of Walter Mitty, a Dirty John, you know, that type of man. Um, they love bomb you with promises of the future, with money and, and with security, which does not exist because they sense that in you, that that's something you're looking for. And I wasn't really looking for financial security, but I was looking for a match. Mm. You know, I was looking for someone, we, we were going to go places together. We would buy another property. We would have holidays. We would maybe go self-employed together. He sold me my dream. Um, and I discovered he didn't own the property that he told me he lived in. So I, for two and a half years, we'd been seeing each other. We were about to get married. He didn't own it. Uh, it wasn't even a private rental, it was local authority rental. But he'd gone so far as to, when we were driving, say, oh, I nearly bought that one, but I just preferred mine. He, the, the lie was very flamboyant. Um, I discovered he was not financially secure. He actually had 22 grand's worth of debt. Um, I discovered he was not the age he said he was. He was eight years older. So there was three significant Machiavellian, very narcissistic, uh, showy-offy uh, lies that mm. had I, I mean, I don't, don't care about his age. That was just a silly lie. And we laughed <laughs> in his flat that I still thought he owned, you know, laughing our heads off on a sofa that he didn't even own. Um, and it, But those lies came, the two big lies about the money, the debt, and the fact that he wasn't really making much money, he wasn't really successful, he wasn't really stable. Um, uh, and it was money he owed the tax man, um, which is like really scary. Um, and the fact that this property wasn't his came out via other people, my bridesmaids, just before we got married. 
Right. So I lost my bridesmaids, I lost my friends, I lost my dignity. I was mortified. We were committed to get married. We had a baby, a couple of months old. Um, and the trust wasn't there, but it was almost like I lost respect for him. And he mm. sniffed that out. He became very, very verbally violent. Mm. So although the physical violence only came at the end, I was ugly. I was stupid. I was thick. I hadn't been to university like he had. Um, he was the brains behind the business. Actually, I really was. But, you know, it was chip, 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 chip. The, the, the verbal violence was horrendous. Uh, and this was because I'd seen beneath the mask, the narcissistic mask. I, and and he, was in, he was embarrassed that subconsciously, because he doesn't have self-awareness like I do, but subconsciously, I was successful. I was mature. I was creative. I was a marketing genius. Um, and so that was when the verbal violence began. And that was quite, that was another two or three years. And I just, I sexually and I don't mind talking about sexually he was very lazy and uninterested but of course I was he used to he would say I was a sex addict and I was I was needy and very everything was really unpleasant and I was just chipped away at and for someone with codependency and attachment issues who doesn't really need I really need I had an eating disorder relapse I'd been clean of my eating disorder for eight years I relapsed in that my anxiety disorder got to med, med I needed medicine then and um and I started realizing I was the one apologizing after these episodes and I was the one crying and he he would never apologize he would just he would, he would expect us to make make up physically but he'd never really owned the awful things your mom and dad don't love you no one loves you just awful stuff and of course me being a complete plonker uh met someone else and the irony was it was in a local swimming pool. I was, I'd gone, it was the very first day I went to try and get a bit of confidence back in my body and my, myself and time away from the business because we were running a business together at this point and walked straight into, literally straight into the arms of a Casanova psychopath. So an overt narcissist uh, that day. And he actually physically touched me that day, hugged me and uh, that was the beginning of a six month seduction. I was, you know, I was married. I was never going to cheat on my husband. And for six months, he did the opposite of my husband. For six months, I was beautiful, smart, clever. Uh, my husband was ugly and stupid and he was wasting his uh, a wonderful marriage to me. And uh, so this, this, this overt Casanova psychopath was just dogged. He was like a dog on heat. And to someone who was going home to a man, telling her she was ugly and useless and no one loved her. You can imagine the seduction. But I, I was quite proud of myself for lasting six months. I thought, yeah. you know, you've given him six months, you've got to know him. Uh, he's everything Nile in. And of course, when he did have me in, you know, in June, 2014, uh, the, the, the process of abuse began immediately immediately so we slept together and then he turned then he asked me to leave 
And I now realize that's a discard. I now realize that he'd only ever been looking for sexual fuel because that's Casanova psychopath. My husband wanted financial fuel and ego fuel. This Casanova psychopath, who in the book I call Jonathan, but that's not his real name, wanted sexual fuel. He wanted the win of getting a pretty married woman with kids into his crappy, smelly bed. Um, so, uh, yeah, classic frying pan into the fire. And yeah. Uh, by then I was ruined because the, the, the kind of dichotomy of these two men, my stupidity, my naivety, the fact that I'd cheated on my husband for this man, I threw myself in and I became a sniveling wreck running around after this abuser. Um, and there was never there was never verbal violence, which is so weird because my my ex-husband was like that. Um, but there was the discards so like one minute of you next minute blocked on social media then mm. you know it's her because he was I had no idea he told me she was an ex but she wasn't and um, it's her she does this she makes me do this so then it, the triangulation and it just followed a classic NPD narcissistic personality disorder abuse relationship both of them did but you yeah. get different types of narcissists. Well, I, I want to pick up on something what you just said there. You said, um, you know, I was stupid. I was naive. I definitely think that they're the things that you feel. But yeah. I think, um, and I don't know if you feel this, but I yeah. think it's not that you're stupid or naive. or yeah. And um, for others, they're not that. It's that we no. haven't been educated in yep. terms of what the signs and the symptoms yep. are this should be a part of our curriculum in yeah. relationships <laughs> yeah. and I could go on about this because how are we going to know what what types of mm. um people are out there mm. or and in um, are not necessarily in our romantic partners but in friendships and in yes. families yeah how, how do we know what a healthy relationship is if mm. all we've been told from a young age mm. is to get on with everybody yeah. in our school classroom and forgive or... people and apologize and be the, be the bigger person so you're, yeah. you're you're often the bigger person with your abuser because you're the one that goes look let's make up and mm. i'm sorry and you're self-deprecating and you do i used to refer to myself as stupid and needy and attached and i he brainwashed me to call myself those names which we are not mm. yes we're vulnerable i was vulnerable um because i through my childhood, my father was an, a Casanova psychopath. My mama was a codependent. I was replicating those relationships. But you don't know that until a professional tells you that, or you read books on it, or you go on the internet and you know what to look for. No one is no one is proactively giving us this information. Mm. And then because we, 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 we do think we are stupid and we do think these things, that's what makes us work even harder at the relationship because mm. we're trauma bonded and we think it was our fault because I I've thought it was my fault for you know all the time because these two men and my dad and my mom had, had repeatedly told me well if something goes wrong that's your fault and if someone treats you like pants that's your fault mm. so you could be I mean and I, like I say I've got three diplomas in mental health and social care studied for three years in personality development mm. and I still <laughs> And I'm like, we bit embarrassed about that. But it's it's not it's not stuff that people know where you would suddenly now I know it, now you know it, now yeah. quite a lot of people know it when they get love bombed by a guy and suddenly he's wanting to send pictures and he's wanting pictures off you and you get little alarm bells and your brain fizzes. 
is yeah you know we I used to think that was attraction that is that is not attraction that is your body's fear response but yeah. only a proper clever smarty pants like me or you can tell someone that you know and how many of us have got us as best pals you know <laughs> well it, it does and and I think um I was covering this on another episode um on the podcast with Alison Baird she was talking about why doesn't she leave and we went on to the subject of films and you know what we're told as young women um and also um you know for the boys out there what they're told should be that role um in yeah. rom-coms and you know that that's what's meant to happen and yeah you know it's it's really difficult it would be nice wouldn't it let's face it it would mm. be nice if it was like that but it's been abused um yes. to lure you in and uh you know, there's um, elements yeah, of stalking in, in films and uh, all, all different kinds of yeah. things. And when I watch th- um, movies or programs now, it's really difficult. I can just start unpicking it. And I've rubbed up yeah. onto my <laughs> husband now because he also does the same. He's like, whoa, Jen, isn't this, you know, why why yeah. are they doing this? Why are they telling people this message? Yeah. You know, this is what my our it's children subliminal. are hearing. Yeah, or, it's you subliminal know. messaging. And, you, you know, this kind of the idea of the white knight, and actually it's the devil on a bloody horse because... <laughs> For, for, for my brain should have known and many of us should have should really we should have known because we should have been taught and it's not victim shaming yeah. we should have been taught this we should have been taught when a man ignores the fact you are married he's a knob end right he is not your he is not some infatuated charmer that's not and whereas we've been taught like when you see in the movies and you're reading the books and maybe with our mom and, and it was a toxic relationship where I was brought up in and all this, you kind of, you, you think, wow, he must really like me if he wants to get past that wedding ring. And you, now I go, I want it's to not, like face plant myself. Uh, but we, you know, my brain uh, uh, as an educated 34 year old, well, 33 at the time, old woman just kind of totally like justified it, you yeah. know, and, and it's, I speak to men and women all the time and they go, so I did as well, and, and I'm embarrassed I did. And I'm like, we don't need to be embarrassed because we've been raised in a context yeah. where infatuation, obsession, um, and no holds barred sort of sexual harassment, right? Because mm. never forget, I was in a local authority swimming pool when this guy hugged me and said, I've not seen you here before. I love your eyes. Are they green? My And I, and I remember, I was in a bikini. I'm always in a bikini. In fact, I'm surprised I'm not going on now but it's like at that point there was a tiny part of my brain went this is weird but the 97 percent part of my brain where I had an abusive husband up the road I felt fat I was only eight stone but I felt fat because I'm eating disorder went wow now he's nice you know (laughs) and then I found out later on he said exactly the same thing to another girl and another girl and so it's just who who fit who fit the bill or who had that vulnerability yeah and I think they that's what they look for isn't it you know that vulnerability yeah I was on my own in a public swimming pool in a bikini um, and he probably had sat and thought and I did a podcast on this myself a couple of years ago he had sat and thought why is she not with her boyfriend why is she not with her husband she's got a ring on where is he it's three o'clock in an afternoon um you know and there's thought there's all those little thoughts are making him go right 
she's the next one for me. Now, we had a pregnant girlfriend up, up the road, up, mm. as they say in Glasgow, up the road. And, <laughs> and he, came, he came up to me and after the green eyes comment, oh, um, something about, I wish I could find love. She's up the road. Yeah. But when it's, a man it's says so difficult, to you, like for, when a man for says us. that, you're like, wow, romance, you know, clippity cloppity on the horse. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's so difficult for us to see it because we we're definitely wired differently, aren't we? In terms of you know how we look at situations and 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 things like that. And I think like even my dad, he's um he's almost seventy eight, and he didn't think it was really appropriate that my mum had a friend who is male. You know, that's the time he's you know. So it's almost like we have got some of this generational stuff coming through. Um, yeah. he, I've got loads of friends who are male and they know their friends and the boundaries and we can have that relationship. It's taken me a long time to get to that point. My dad doesn't mm. understand it. He's like, why does Rob have not have a problem with this? Rob's my husband. <laughs> and I just said, you know, Rob trusts me. He knows that I love him mm. and he knows I would not go anywhere near that person yeah. or that person or that. Um, yeah. But it's really difficult, isn't it? Because we've got, um, you know, we think back to how it was. Yeah. And actually there's still people that take on those um personalities or traits and it's still a part of um abuse sometimes it can be quite 1950s um you know the the mom the wife in the kitchen doing the chores um so it is really difficult um but we could talk we could keep on talking forever um so I would love you to tell everybody, you know, the names of your books, where okay. they can find them and how they can um, find you as well. OK, so um, the first book is basically the story of what I kind of just ventured into there with you, with the kind of frying pan fire, the two different abusers. And, and it, it's, it, it's uh, called Dangerous Normal People Understanding Casanova Psychopaths and the Narcissistic Virus, because Uh, I developed very narcissistic tendencies. I became manipulative and I became dark and I became sexually uh, motivated and I became very arrogant and and I ended up mirroring him to survive. But then also because there was another individual in the dynamic to protect myself against her. Um, So I I wanted to explore that to let so many of other people, the kind of hidden victims who are not traditional um, domestic abuse victims who do end up a bit dark, you know, because... Um, there are a lot so that's called dangerous normal people and that's on about 31 different websites but the best way to look for it is just to go into waterstones or amazon online and mm-hmm. just put in dangerous normal people plus my author name so plus lw hawksby yeah um, and that's a diary format so at the end of each chapter you've actually You've got all these different words me and you have just used, Jennifer. So like love bombing and <laughs> gaslighting and coercive control. So each chapter is a month of my life going through the abuse process um, and realizing I was an abuser. So there's porn abuse in there, addiction abuse in there. And it, each chapter has a little glossary of terms and explanations. So it's like a study book, but it reads like a novel. Yeah. So that kind of is the, the, the reviews on that have been brilliant. Uh, and that being my first book, um, I challenge anyone to look for the mistakes because I found 11. Uh, <laughs> there's actually there's a random person in there. I don't even know who it was. I must have forgotten to change your name. Um, but I'm proud of that because I, the structure is very good that you can go back and forth and you yeah. almost train yourself whilst also enjoying a pretty dark, horrible story, actually. Yeah. Um, the second book is called The Notch, um, and that's a novel, but that was inspired by a 
very suspicious death of a lady who a man I knew an affair with this lady and she went she was going to leave her husband in real life she was going to leave her husband and she went this really strange trip with the husband and never came back and I having known the man who had the affair with her I kind of feel like I got to know her and I called her Alice and in in the notch Alice uh, speaks to you from the grave and tells you how she became entrenched in an abusive relationship and how she did actually cheat on her husband and, and she fell in love with a, a nice man and wanted to leave him and that was why her husband killed her. So but you have her narrating, but you also have her, her murderer husband narrating. So you're it's very triggering, I've been told. And he's called Michael. Um, and then there's two other people in it. Um, so it was a, a study of dark people Um a woman, a psychological abuser to her husband. She's an addict and she's grief stricken. And then her husband cheats on her. But you hear from him why. And all four kind of meet in this kind of one week where they become thrown together, um, trying to discover what happened to Alice. And Alice is communicating um, what happened. But you, Michael is the best character. He's evil. I wrote him in the first person and he's a sexual sadist, soci sociopath, narcissist. So you hear his voice and I loved writing him because he is just the most horrible, <laughs> vile man. And I have him in, I just have him, I've really got him off pat. I've got, I, I, re, I loved writing him because I took a lot of inspiration from, <laughs> from men I've known. And people have said to me, you must put warnings in your books, Lucy, because, because you write in the first person, you're very there. And, and yeah. I even use different accents and different language. Um, so the notch really is much, it's darker because he killed, he manages to kill Alice and, he, and then there's lovely twists and turns. Um, and then my third book should be out hopefully March, April. And that's a sort of follow on from Dangerous Normal People, but highly fictionalized because mm. it tracks my bad behaviors once I left the abusive relationship. Mm. It tracks very dark um, things I did. And I've set it in a different country, a totally different character names again. Um, and I've changed my my characteristics in the in that book. And that's called The Forgivers Club. Um, and that's just because I wanted to explore badly behaved women specifically. Women who, so there's a female stalker um, in there who was a friend of mine, but who... Um, there was that kind of toxification of the friendship where she just couldn't let it go. And then there's there's a, a character I based some of my behaviours on where there's extreme promiscuity, there's criminal behaviour, there is um, suicidal ideation and alcoholism. Um, because I think there's a lot of baddies in books who are men. I think I own my badness and I, and I, <laughs> and I like to reflect on why I did that stuff. Because I think there's an 80% of female offenders in prison have mm. been through an abusive relationship. Mm. And I think we need to talk about those women and we need to explore women like me who, um, who have done really bad things because we just got absolutely fudged up. Um, because otherwise, if we don't explore all types of victims of abuse, we are not even touching the top of the iceberg. Mm. for for addressing abuse because we're not looking after those women and we deserve women who have got themselves in trouble still deserve help because it stops the cycle of offending it stops the cycle of abuse um so the, the forgivers club is very much uh right batten down your hatches because this does happen and just because she's a female 
doesn't mean she, you know, this doesn't go on behind closed doors. So that's going to be an interesting baptism of fire when that comes out. Um, it sounds so, it. Um, yeah, and, I like um, to write about stuff that nobody else really, you yeah. know, because I do have a brass neck and I, I try to, to write stuff that will actually upset people and get people thinking and get people talking and, um, you know, kind of quite confronting stuff about mm. um, sex and abuse and, and crime because... I just think we've got to start rattling some cages now. And yeah. the domestic universe has become a, a little bit stale with um, people expecting victims to appear a certain way. And then the funding is being misdirected. And, um, and that worries someone like me mm. who fell through the cracks. I could have been helped. And that yeah. 80% women in prison could have been helped um, and we were not helped because we were angry mad crazy knife wielding lunatics we weren't sat in a corner and crying and women's aid want us to be sat in a corner and crying and and that we need to start changing the kind of the language now and and mm. and helping everyone not just traditional or apparently traditional um yeah it's this is is a stereotype isn't it and um yeah. i've had a lot of um interviews like on the radio and um saying well you're an intelligent you know woman yeah like you don't look like somebody who's been abused it's like what does somebody who has been through abuse look like yeah so just um to recap on the book so for anybody having a google um you need to (laughs) say for lw hawksby that's lucy's author name and you can find dangerous normal people you can find the notch and upcoming um coming soon the forgivers club so we'll be looking forward to that and what i'll do um i will pop all of the links um in the bio um so if you want to check out the information you just can click on further information on the podcast and it'll take you straight there so i think that leaves me to say a huge thank you lucy for a a passionate fueled conversation (laughs) also linking with the vast amount of um written work that you've done and um you know bringing shining a a massive light on um you know all of that so thank you so much for giving up your time today thanks for having me Wow, what a conversation. I hope you found it as passionate and as thought-provoking as I did. A big thank you to Lucy for giving your time once again. You have been listening to me, Jennifer Gilmore, author of Isolation Junction and Clipped Wings. Both are available on Amazon or you can find them at jennifergilmore.com. (laughs) 